Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Hello, welcome. I am Steve. I did work for uh, the Mayor of the West Midlands uh, around uh, the Homeless Task Force. I'm actually a director at Birmingham City Council. And so uh, Birmingham City Council is in the news, um, you may have uh, noted. Um, and uh, so pray for us. We were praying before the service and we were praying for uh, Birmingham and uh, the City Council particularly and the effect that uh, the most recent news is going to have us, us um, as a city and particularly the most vulnerable people. Um, I'm Director of Housing Solutions, which means I'm responsible for homelessness um, across the piece and housing need across Birmingham. So um, particularly, you know, pray for us as we think about the impact of uh, what's happened in the finances at Birmingham and uh, the vulnerable uh, people and everybody really uh, to do with this city. So, uh, and thank you. Yes, I've been um, around Birmingham Vineyard for a little while as well, but I've not been asked uh, this morning to come and talk to you about that. Um, instead, hmm? no, 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 I think we'll stay away from that for a bit now. <laughs> Good. What I really want to uh, start by asking you is um, when do you plan on dying? Which I know is a bit of a segue from what I was talking about a second ago, but, you know, have you, have you made a plan? Have you got, have you got this uh, kind of sorted out yet? I, I feel I'm not in a hurry, but I felt that I needed to check into this. And so um, the internet's wonderful, and so you can uh, find out, uh, according to Death Clock, <laughs> let's have Death Clock up, and uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful site called Death Clock. Now, bear with me on this. No trauma to be involved in terms of creating out of this, but there is a website called Death Clock. And so if you would like to know how long the internet feels that you have left to live, go on to Death Clock. It asks the sort of questions you'd expect it to. It asks you how old you are. It asks you about health conditions. And it also asks you about your outlook on life. Are you a kind of a, a normal outlook, a positive outlook, or a slightly less positive outlook on life? And it, unfortunately, will then give you a date. If you're worried or wondering, and Je Jeff has already mentioned my age here, um, my date for predicted death is Friday, October the 11th, 2041. That's what I felt. Oh my gosh. I'm young and healthy. I'm 20 something, you know, and what I get is uh, 18 years or so left to live. So that is uh, shocking. And uh, I, I rechecked and everything else like that. So I say that so you don't rush in and do it because you may not like the result. And clearly, it is only a tool. And it will feel to me 18 years down the line that I would have liked a little bit longer. I'll have barely retired. Um, I want to see my kids settle down, grandchildren maybe, buy that camper van and go on the tours and all those sort of things that I was planning to do. But Death Clock is kind of frustrating that somewhat there. And that's um, rather concerning to me. Now, just in some ways, as I have just done, uh, James leaps into the hard stuff of life. And so we are continuing this morning on our series in the book of James. And today we're looking at James 4, verses 13 to 17. And so it's only five verses, but there's lots packed in there. So we're going to start off by looking at the entirety of what we'll be looking at, and then we're going to take it step by step. So James starts by just in the way I did. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? 
You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Wow, loads in there for us to consider and think about this morning. I was uh, privileged to be able to start the series in James. Uh, feels like an age ago. I think it's about eight weeks ago now. And uh, we started with chapter one, surprisingly. And it was what I described as something of an executive summary. And I used a number of props, and I brought a few props again today to help people remember. I brought a pack of letters, which was the letters that my wife and I, before we were married um, and were in different continents, wrote to each other. So we remembered that the book of James was a wisdom letter. I brought a surfboard in, surprisingly, and that was to remind us that we don't want to be tossed around on the waves like Steve on a surfboard, but we want to be rock solid in the Word of God, built like a house on the rock. And I brought a faded buttonhole from my son's wedding, and that was to remind us that lots of things fade like flowers do, but the Word of God lasts. I brought in a cloth, which I knew as a Zambia, and I talked about the wonderful people, um, Oliver and Margaret Nyumbo, and the wonderful work they've done, persevering in Zambia. I brought in my iPad as a recognition that we get tempted, but God doesn't tempt us. It's our own evil desires that draw us away into sin. And I brought a globe in, and that was the last thing I brought in. And I said that that's a reminder that the Father God is the Father of the heavenly lights. And shining on the globe, God is good compared with some of our own evil desires which come from within. And so we've, in the preceding week, in the, 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 the weeks afterwards, we've looked at all sorts of other aspects of James. And we got to the point last week where Becky was talking and she had... One of these, do you remember that? Those who were around, it was a green balloon. And uh, it ties in nicely for today as well. So the green balloon... She had some bigger green balloons, but this is a little one. This is for the little people here. And the green balloon was a reminder that we shouldn't be puffed up. We shouldn't be arrogant and puffed up with our own bigness, our own greatness. Rather, we should be let down, and filled up with the Spirit of God. And so we'll remember that as we come in today, because James, in many ways, is carrying on some of those same themes we saw in the first chapter, but also now continuing from the early part of this chapter into what we're going to be looking at today. The focus is on the assumptions that we make and the behaviours that come out of our pride and our arrogance. So let's start back at the beginning of the text that we've got today. James says... You say, today or tomorrow, we'll go out to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Lost place. <laughs> um, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Is he saying that making plans, acting on them is wrong? Is it a call to live entirely in the moment? I don't think so. It's more about the state of our heart and mind as we do these things. 
Now, James identifies what I'm going to suggest are three areas in which we make presumptions. We make assumptions. We assume that we've got the power and the authority to determine. And so to start off with, we're going to look at those three things. The first is life. We say today, tomorrow, spend a year. It's all about time. It's about the life that we've got and the time that we've got. I can make assumptions that I won't die um, before the 11th of October 2041. Maybe. I can actually go deep into this and hope that I'll live to 100. I can look at what I've got around me, just as many of us have. We've got public health around us. We've got the National Health Service. We've got the criminal justice system. We've got stable democracy. We're not at war. We've uh, got the climate, this temperate, nice European moderate climate. We've got the health and safety there to protect us. We've got food supply there. We've got a life expectancy that is generally rising. We can go further. If you click onto death clock, you can order some vitamins to help you live longer. We can get ourselves an oxygen tank and sleep in it and try and extend our lives. We can be cryogenically frozen and come back when they've sorted out how to get you back from that state. James, does he want us to become obsessed with our mortality? Do fear and death become paralyzing for us? Is it a morbid focus on when we're going to not see tomorrow? No, I don't believe so, but we must view each day as a gift and subject to God's mercy. The second area that we make presumptions about and can be arrogant about is choice. Today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city and trade. We'll not only be alive, but we can also plan and choose how to act. In this case, go to that city and trade. Here it's an assumption that is ours to choose how we use the life that we are given. What plans do you have? A family event to plan for, a holiday, the start of the new academic year, a career change, a business venture, or what you're going to choose to do this afternoon? And what affects, what prioritizes those choices that you're going to make? Responsibilities, tiredness, needing fun, needing an adventure. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 10, 23 said this, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Is James saying that all choice is gone? Is there no free will? No, I don't believe so. But he is calling out the assumptions we make that it's ours to plan, to choose, and to direct our steps. And then thirdly, James identifies the presumptions as to our ability, in this case, to carry on business and make money. Now, I have a bookshelf at home, and I, I looked at it and brought some books. And uh, I was surprised by some of the theme that's in there. Um, and they're, they're, they're kind of my management-type books, okay, because I'm in management for a while. Okay, so the first one, Action Inquiry, The Secrets of Timely and Transforming Leadership. Good to Great and Social Sectors. Um, Trillion Dollar Coach, The Nudge Theory. Thinking Fast and Acting Slow, The Time Paradox, uh, Harvard Review on lots of bits of leadership, uh, Managing Workloads, The Pocketbook, One Thing You Need to Know to Great Success, Inside the Box, The 60-Second Leader. I was struck as I just pulled off, not completely random, but you know, that's a fair selection of the books I've got on management and so forth. Actually, how many of them, just in the title, talk about time? Lots of them. 60 seconds, the one thing you need to know. 
timely transformation, managing workload, time paradox, thinking fast and slow. All about time, all about, okay, Steve, you've got so many hours in the day, and if you just do these, however many hundreds of things there are in there, you will therefore be on top of your time. You'll be managing your time. You'll be God of your time in some ways as well. It was an interesting little uh, thing to do there. We can make presumptions about our ability. We might make presumptions about our mental capacity. I'm smart enough. I'm physically strong enough. I've financially got the means to do something. I've got the connections, the network. I've got the experience and the track record. It's not that James doesn't want us to use our abilities. I don't think so, no. But he doesn't want us to rely upon our own abilities. So James has identified an arrogance, a self-reliance, and independence that makes assumptions about our life, our choices, and our ability. All of that has got to lead us into the question, well, how do I guard against that? How do I guard against those presumptions? How do I not mess up in that way? Looking at verses 14 and 15, we're going to identify three verbs which will help us with that. These three are ignorance, frailty, and dependence. We're going to start with the first, ignorance. Again, James says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. We talked about all the things that create a bubble of protection around us, health and money and all those sort of things. It can lead to that arrogance, the sense of indestructibility. James reminds us that God controls life and times. Perhaps you and your family are very aware of that. Perhaps you've, you've seen that and experienced grief and loss in your own family. Maybe not. But James wants us to be aware, mindful in our hearts and minds of the fact that we do not know what will happen tomorrow. Now, I need a, a volunteer. Uh, let's see who we've got. Is he, where's Kevin Jones? There he is. He was hiding. What is that a volunteer? I mean, somebody that I spoke to earlier and said, Kevin, if I pull you out and embarrass you slightly in front of a lot of people, is that all right? And Kevin agreed. He said, it's always what happens. So it wasn't a problem. Now, what I didn't think about when I thought about this little section was actually... Um, it's about ig- you know, ignorance, and, and Kevin is not ignorant, but he is Welsh. And the first question... No, no, it's not connected, it's not rude, honestly. Um, Kevin has volunteered in this, and Kevin, there were some football fixtures yesterday, and some rugby pi- fixtures, and some tennis as well. So I just want to ask you, okay, in the Ukraine-England match, in the football, in the Euro qualifier, what was the score? Uh, 1-1. Oh, Okay. Um, there was some rugby going on yesterday in England, not Wales, versus Argentina. Who won? Uh, England. Oh, yes. Do you know the score? 27. Oh, he's doing well. 10. Fantastic. And there was, some, uh, there was some tennis going on overnight at the US. Oh, you might have to help me out here. Um, there was Goff and Sablenka. Um, who won the tennis last night at New York? Somebody help him? Goff won. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So... Kevin's done fantastically well in terms of what happened in terms of the sports uh, yesterday. Brilliant. Now, Kevin, I'd like you to know, let you to tell me what's going to happen this afternoon in the, the fixtures. Okay, so Greece, Gibraltar, the score? Uh, 2-1. Okay, two, make a note of this and check on him, please. Um, Faroe Irons versus Moldova, that big hitting match. 
Nil nil. Oh dear. No faith. Finland versus Denmark? Hate to guess. <laughs> Hate to guess. Okay. And then San Marino, Slovenia? Three two. Okay. So Kevin did fantastically. With a little bit of help with you guys to be able to tell us what happened yesterday. Kevin is less sure, and so are you, as to what's going to happen this afternoon or even tomorrow. Kevin, thank you. Do be seated. David, who became king of Israel, was being pursued by his enemies. In Psalm 31, he writes, Terror on every side. They conspire against me. They plot to take my life. There is a person, there's a person very aware of their mortality. He goes on to say, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in your hands. I don't know what the football result's going to be between Moldova and uh, Freiro Islands, um, but. I know that my times are in God's hands. The second of our verbs we're going to look at, carding against our presumptions, is that of frailty. You're a mist that appears for a little while and a little time, and then it vanishes. Think of what mist is like. It's insubstantial. It's hardly felt. It's just in the air. It's transient. Mist usually doesn't stick around, not for long. It's a bit of wind, a bit of warmth, and it's gone. It's gone without a trace. It vanishes. It's lost to memory. Now, I need a volunteer. Kevin. <laughs> Kevin offered earlier that he would be happy to help and volunteer in this talk. So he, he thought he'd done that, but this is great. So now, there's a frailty. That is our second. Um, now, I wanted, so I wanted the strongest, meanest individual that was going to be here. And I knew that Kevin was coming. Kevin's a mechanic. Kevin goes mountain biking with us. And he's big and strong. And so I brought something for him to pick up. Just watch your back. Bend your knees. Okay. So, Kevin is going to do a few reps as we talk about this next bit. Because we're going to test how frail we are versus how strong we are. But at the same time, we're going to illustrate it with a little mist. Okay, so Ollie, if you could just come over and create a little mist. So, how many of you remember your favourite? Keep going, you can't stop. <laughs> Start doing your reps. Start the mist. Ah, ah, ah. Come on. Okay, do as you need. How many of you remember your favourite mists or take pictures of them? Do you post them on social media? Are there songs written about them or poems? No. James is just putting it in context. It's hard to hear. James is reflecting the nature of our physical existence. We're not strong. We're like mist. Keep spraying. That's it. We're just like mist and we're weak and feeble. Another illustration. How long's the? And this is a tricky one, I know, for some. But let's say that the Earth has been around for 4.5 billion years, and that humans have been around for 300,000 years. That means that we, like that mist, have been around for 0.007% of the world's existence. 0.007% of the world's existence. If you just count time since the start of humans as a 24-hour clock. That means that since Jesus, only 14 minutes have passed. So time before Jesus was an incredible amount compared with just the time since Jesus. So we are not so strong. It's just not doing the proper reps. And we're like mist in terms of that. Thank you. Well illustrated. Put it down. Another round of applause. It could lead us to saying, why bother? 
In Deuteronomy 8, 17, it says this. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. It's not our power and strength. It's the Lord who gives us the ability. The third hard truth from James is the reminder of our dependence. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, if the Lord wills. Now, I've asked for a volunteer. He has run away. Where's he gone? Has he literally, eh? <laughs> that, come back. Now, yeah, absolutely. This is the inflatable Jesus who brings Jesus into your home. Could you just inflate Jesus for us? It's not a good representation. Skin colouring is really very pink. I have to say that, but it's, it'll come into it. Okay, so while he's doing that, a literal response to this word from James is to add... In, sorry, the third and fi- hard, final hard truth, the, uh, the verbs that we're looking at, is that of dependence. Verse 15 says, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, if the Lord wills. A literal response, fantastic, just hold it there. A literal response to this word from James is to add into every sentence, God willing. Or through the ages, it might have been Dio Vilente in Latin, DV written against a plan. After church, I will drive home, God willing. I will walk the dog, God willing. I'll have dinner, God willing. It is a literal reminder of our dependence upon God. Though in practice, it has a danger, if we just say God willing after everything, that it loses its meaning, it loses its significance through repetition. I suggest it's the mind that remembers our dependence on God and the heart that is open to the Lord's will. John Calvin, the 16th century theologian, wrote this, We read everywhere in the scriptures that the holy servants of God spoke unconditionally of future things when yet they had it as a fixed principle in their minds that they could do nothing without the permission of God. It's a little bit like having a Jesus on the shoulder, let's say. Just, oh, no, you have to hold it. And this is just to help you fix it in your mind. So when you go home and think, what was the sermon about? Oh, yes, it was a dependence upon Jesus a sense of, what shall I do today? Rather than it just being mine, actually, Jesus. Turn and say, Jesus, what would I do today? That's it. What, shall, what is it that I should be doing today? What is it I should be doing tomorrow? What are my plans? How do I give them over to Jesus? It's a reminder that we haven't got an inflatable Jesus on the shoulder, but we, have ha- we do have a Jesus who is present with us at all times and wants to hear from us and wants to talk to us. And so it's a reminder that Jesus is there. Thank you. Final time. You're all right. You're safe now. A more practical way than carrying an inflatable Jesus as a reminder is perhaps the big three. Now, if you haven't heard of the big three, it's our way of saying, actually, how do we stay connected? How do we stay healthy spiritually? And we, we thought about this and created the big three as what are the three things, if we do each day, are really going to help us stay healthy in our spiritual lives? And the big three are 
Read and listen to the Bible. Listen to what God is saying through his word. Pray our thoughts. Have that conversation with Jesus on a daily, hour by hour, minute by minute basis. And guard our hearts. At the end of the day, give thanks for all that God has given us in that day that he has given us. Confess the things that have gone maybe askew and say, God, what is your will for tomorrow? So if you haven't come across the big three and want to have a look at this, on the website, there are booklets over there at the entrance. Pick one up and make it maybe part of your daily routines. So far, James has reminded us that we make presumptions about life and choices and ability, but we're ignorant We don't know the football results for tomorrow. We fail. We're like mist and trying to bend weights. And we're dependent. We need to be reminded of God all the time. James goes on in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Now, in the New Testament, in places, it is okay to boast. That that word is used. The word there... Oh dear. It's corner atumia. That's way off. Phil will help us later in the correct translation. It's used, for example, in Romans 5.2. We're encouraged to boast in the hope of the glory of God. But here, um, the, the word is alazioni. It's only used uh, elsewhere once in 1 John 2.16, and it's translated as pride for life. So there's boasting, which is seen as boasting in God, and there's boasting in pride of life. That is our lives. Forgetting who our creator is, who the enabler of life is, and trusting in our own arrogant schemes. This, James says, is evil. There are many things said to be evil in the Bible, but it takes us to put it into practice. A Old Testament example King Belshazzar of Babylon, he uh, was uh, the king. Uh, They had uh, defeated the Israelites. They'd uh, raided the temple. They'd taken away the golden cups from the temple. And he was having a feast uh, with all of his uh, servants and everybody else uh, in there, having a a wonderful time drinking out of God's gold cups from the temple. And uh, on the wall, some writing appeared. Uh, a hand from nowhere, writing out on the wall. And none of the wise uh, people of Babylon could translate what it meant. So they called for Daniel, uh, the Israelite, and said, Daniel, do you know what? Yes, I do. He told King Belshazzar in Daniel 5.22, but you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself. You've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You didn't honour God who holds in your hand your life and your ways. Daniel explained the meaning of the words written on the wall, the first of which was meany, God has numbered your days of your reign and brought it to an end. Belshazzar, having defeated the Israelites, was puffed up in his own importance like Becky's green balloon. He hadn't humbled himself, and set him, but he had set himself up against God. Honouring God would require losing that puffed up air and being filled with the breath of God. So boasting in our arrogant schemes is evil. But it's not just when we do something, it's also when we fail to do something. That is the sin of omission. Verse 17 goes on to say, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. Now I grew up in the the Anglican church and uh, there is a prayer called the General Prayer of Confession. And it's found in the prayer book, which goes back to 1552. And it begins like this. 
Almighty and most merciful Father, we've wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things we have ought to have done. And we've done those things we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. Again, those words. We've left undone those things that we ought to have done. And we've done those things we ought to not to have done. It feels like a massive catch-all, doesn't it? It's not just what we do wrong, but it's also the good that we don't do that catches us out here. What are the limits? Where does it end? What are the terms and conditions to this? I thought it would be all right just to keep my nose clean, not to actively sin. But now, also, I've got to know the good that I should be doing and do it, or else it's a sin of omission. There's lots and lots of examples from the Bible in terms of that. One of them that is well, well known. Jesus was confronted by a teacher of the law, and he was doing a great job, that teacher of the law, of keeping the holy laws, keeping their nose clean, as I've just said, quite puffed up like a green balloon with it. He correctly told Jesus that to be a friend of God, you've got to love God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus said, yeah, you've answered correctly. In doing that, you're not actively sinning, and you will live. He could have left it just there. But just like James points out, he goes that bit further, probably feeling a bit puffed up, boastful. We're told he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbour? And then Jesus told the parable, the story of the Good Samaritan, a sin of omission. A man was traveling from Jerusalem, Jericho. He was attacked by robbers and left for dead on the side. A priest came by and walked by. A Levite, another religious worship leader, walked by, both sinning by omitting to help when they could have done good. They didn't attack the man. It's not they that left him blooded on the roadside and, and robbed, but they did leave him. They omitted to act. But it's a Samaritan, somebody despised by the Jews, who comes by, who has compassion, he's moved with mercy, he bandages the wounds, he takes him to a place of safety, he pays for his stay until he is well. Jesus asked the teacher of the law, the puffed up teacher of the law, so who was the neighbour? Who was the man to the man who was left for dead? He replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What do we learn from that? The Samaritan had his eyes open. He saw the need. As the teacher of the law said, he was moved. He had mercy. In this context, there's somebody lying on the roadside. And he acted. It's more than just, we'll pray for you. It was bandages, ointment, transport, money, and accommodation. It feels like a comprehensive being moved in mercy not a sin of omission, but a, a blessing of activity. No omission there. We each are challenged to be ready to see, to have mercy and act in whatever situations we know there is good that we ought to do. Left puffed up and more available. But yes, we will mess up. We will do things wrong. We will fail to get things right. Absolutely. And we need mercy in that. That Anglican confession that I stopped off and said, 
we've left undone those things we ought to have done, and we've done those things we ought not to have done, continues like this. But you, O Lord, have mercy on us sinners. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent, who are sorry, according to your promises declared to us all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's mercy there. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, Jesus' sake, that we may live a disciplined, righteous, and godly life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. So in summary, our pride and our boasting, it blows us up like a green balloon. We make presumptions about our life and about our choices and ability, but we are ignorant. We don't know this afternoon's football results. We're frail, we can't lift the weights, and we're like a mist that has disappeared now. And we need to, we're dependent upon Jesus, but I suggest probably reading the Bible and praying and checking in with God each day is a better way of doing it. And God is gentle and kind. He's merciful and forgives us when we mess up. In Jeremiah 10, 23 to 24, it says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Discipline me, Lord, but only in due measure, not in your anger or you'll reduce me to nothing. Discipline me, Lord, guide me, make, get me straight, but only in your due measure, not in your anger or you'll reduce me to nothing. We mess up, but there's grace and mercy there. We can be easily popped like a green balloon. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.